We all look forward to the return of our Lord. As a matter of fact, every time we take communion on Sunday morning, which is every Sunday, we're reminding ourselves that the Lord is coming again because Jesus says he will not drink of this vine again until he drinks it with us, with our Father in heaven. In Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 1, the Bible says, watch for the day of the Lord is coming. Now he says that in verse 1, he says that in verse 4, he says it in verse 6, 7, 8, and 9, and he also says it in verse 20 and 21. So that's a lot of times to repeat. It's like a child telling you their birthday is going to come. Now I promise you that little girl will ask me again this Sunday if I remember her birthday. And the reason I know that is because all the children around here are asking me that all the time, that I've got a birthday coming up. But Jesus prophesied that before he comes, there will be a time of such tribulation like the world has never known before, nor will it ever occur again. Those of you that have gone through the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation with me, you know that we call that the great tribulation. Now, the world, you will always have tribulation. I mean... There will always be tribulation in the world. There are many Christians suffering tonight great tribulation for their faith in God. But there's coming a time upon the whole world where there's going to be great tribulation for those that follow the Lord. If you'll look with me at this passage tonight in Matthew 24 and verse 30, and you say, Pastor, why are we going to Matthew? Because I want you to see the connection between Zechariah 14 and Matthew. And it's in your notes. And then at last, the sign that the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens, and there will be deep mourning among all the peoples of the earth. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with great power and great glory. And he'll send out his angels with the mighty blast of a trumpet, and he'll gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. Let's pray together. Jesus, we love you with all of our hearts, and we're so thankful, Father. God, we ask you in the name of Jesus that, Lord, the hope of your return will never leave us. God, the Scripture says those of us that have that hope in our hearts, we purify our hearts. Those of us that have that hope in our hearts, Lord, there's something about your return that helps us to endure whatever we're facing. God, we look for that day not with dread because of the blood of Jesus. We look for that, dread, that day with hope and anticipation. So I find myself praying with the apostle tonight, Maranatha, Lord. Even so, come quickly, Jesus, for it's in your name I pray. Amen and amen. Well, when Jesus comes, he will, he will do, and I just noticed i got a button undone here. He will do what he said he was going to do. He's going to establish his kingdom upon the earth. He's going to establish his kingdom upon the earth. This is the kingdom that we call the millennial kingdom. This is after the rapture. This is after the battle of Armageddon when Jesus returns. We're going to take a look at some of those events tonight. When the Lord's second coming takes place, all of his enemies are going to be defeated. And you might say to me, well, pastor, I thought his enemies were defeated right now. And they are. He's conquered over them. But right now, there is rebellion upon the earth, people that don't want to follow the Lord, people that uh, uh, work against the gospel. There are some nations that I've worked in that we've had to work under the radar, so to speak, because they do not want the gospel preached there. We've been praying for a young man in our Saturday prayer services that was kidnapped and was going to be stoned in a, another country where one of our missionaries that we support, and um, they got him to the pit, and they asked him if he had anything he wanted to say, and he dropped to his knees and began to pray for his 
the people that were going to stone him to death. And when he opened his eyes after praying, they'd all dropped their rocks and had left. That young man was kidnapped a second time just recently, and the same thing happened. Friends, I could tell you, I've been in missions committee meetings this week. I could tell you story after story of places where Christians are being actively persecuted for their faith. And those that, we, that have volunteered to go and share, their lives are at risk tonight. But when Jesus comes, governments, his enemies, whoever they are that try to oppose the gospel, they will be defeated. When you read verses 1 through 15, you open up and you see that Jerusalem is overrun. Now, remember, we've, we've talked about this all the way through the book. God has brought the exiles back to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was a heap of rubble. It was nothing compared to Babylon. It would be like leaving, you know, this most wonderful, beautiful city. Babylon was, had the, the gates and the walls that were so high around it. It's one of the seven ancient wonders of the world that uh, Nebuchadnezzar could have four chariots with four horses driven around the top of the walls all around the city of Babylon. That's how wide the walls were. And so they've come back to this heap of rubble. When my dad would talk about a settlement, where they lived at was a settlement down in South Georgia. That meant nobody wanted to be there. It was land that was raw when my grandfather bought it. It was land that he developed. Matter of fact, my grandfather, my great-grandfather wrote a little poem about that land and says, this land is poor with too much gravel to western lands I'm bound to travel. And he left my grandfather in charge of those farms. So it was a settlement. It wasn't a town. It wasn't a community. It didn't have the services like we have. It was just a place in the middle of nowhere that my great-grandfather was able to get very cheaply in the 1700s and farm out something, carve something literally out of the wilderness. That's what it was like coming back to Jerusalem. And Jesus says that when it's rebuilt, that Jerusalem will be overrun by its enemies and it will be conquered and they will sit around. Verse 1 They're dividing up the spoils. They think they've at last won, but suddenly Jesus returns. And if you read those verses, Jesus returns and his feet touch the Mount of Olives. And the Mount of and we've talked about this in previous series. The Mount of Olives literally will split on its on its north and south axis. So there will be a valley through the east and the west, which which lines up from the west to the east, which lines up with the tabernacle or the temple mount that we see there now. A friend of mine was just there last week. I've been there, been in it, and looked out at it and realized, boy, one day Jesus is going to touch this mountain according to the word. It's going to split. And you're going, how, why? You're going to see through this chapter tonight. It'll take us two nights to get through all of it. But it'll be split in two so that those that survive will be able to escape this way. Now, here's an application point I want you to think about. Sometimes, according to David in Psalm 73, and you've all read that psalm, sometimes it looks like the bad guys are winning. If you're tonight in some of these countries like I'm talking about, it looks like the bad guys are winning. And when you open up this chapter, we've talked about the, remember the message we did where the old men with the canes and the children playing in the streets? I just use that as an illustration on a Sunday morning. We've talked about how God loved Jerusalem passionately and what he was going to do. But before all this takes place, there will be this time of tribulation, and it will look like the Lord's plans have been defeated. When you read Psalm 73, you really think, what's going on? But by the end of Psalm 73, David is declaring that the Lord has conquered all of his enemies. 
So I can't go into all the details tonight, but I want you to notice three things. The defeat will be sudden. The defeat will be sudden. And the Lord will send a plague on all the nations that fought against Jerusalem. And their people, now this is kind of gross to read, but just follow along with me. Their people will become like walking corpses, their flesh rotting away, their eyes will rot in their sockets, and their tongues will rot in their mouths. And on that day they will be terrified, stricken by the Lord with great planet, panic. They will fight with their neighbors hand to hand, and Judah too will be fighting at Jerusalem. The wealth of all these neighboring nations will be captured, great quantities of gold and silver and fine clothing, and the same plague will strike the horses, mules, camels, donkeys, and all the other enemies in the camp. Now, let me just kind of walk through this, okay? And I'm going to do this real quickly. So if you're taking notes online, you may want to go to our app uh, that, that um, Keith just referred you to a few moments ago. And you may want to take some notes there or get a sheet of paper and walk along with me. First of all, you've got to remember, look at me, this is really important. And I want you, and you watching at home. Zechariah is prophesying. There's no way that Zechariah, there's no way John in the book of Revelation, there's no way that Daniel the prophet could have ever seen the tanks, the planes, the missiles, and the jets we have today. These animals that they're talking about, those are the animals of warfare. Those are, if you remember, God had even told the kings of Israel they were not to collect horses and chariots like the other nations because God would defend them. Solomon disobeyed that commandment in a big way. So what you're seeing there is something either supernatural is happening or you're seeing what could be a plague or it could be a nuclear blast. I tend to think it's going to be something supernatural. And a few years ago, I would, and matter of fact, my, I just watched the movie. My family didn't want to watch it with me. A few years ago, I was doing a pastor board retreat for <clears throat> a couple of hundred churches. And um, so the host of that meeting asked me, he said, have you ever seen the movie Deep Impact? And I said, no. And he said, then he brought up another movie. He said, have you ever seen that movie? And I go, no. And I'm not a big science fiction guy, you know. I think about as close to science fiction as I ever got was Star Wars, you know. But I just, I'm not a big sci-fi guy. So those kind of movies don't interest me. He says, you really need to go home and watch those movies. Because according to some scientific websites he'd read and some articles in National Geographic, and then I talked with some scientists I know, and they said, yeah, there's a lot of things they're not telling us how close asteroids have come to the earth, where the tail of a comet literally swept across parts of Russia. Um, we, we're all familiar with the big one that made the news, the, 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 the exploding star that happened in Russia. How they found now that not all mountains have been formed by volcanoes, but some of those mountains have been formed by asteroids that hit the earth and exploded. They've actually found the material there in the earth. And it's just a fascinating thing to follow. The first scientist to present that was laughed out of the room. And then less than a decade later, he celebrated as a hero because of the research that he had done. And I found that interesting. So here's my point. If it's a nuclear blast, and when the Bible talks about great hailstones falling in the book of Revelation, 
Well, when that nuclear blast happens, we know this is what happens. Water vapor is sucked up in the air and it returns as, in a real instantaneous thing. It returns as hailstones. If it was an asteroid like these movies depict, and I'm not saying this because of the movies. I'm just saying something cataclysmic is going to happen. If it's a nuclear blast, then that would explain the uh, flesh riding away, the eyes melting in their sockets. If it's... Uh, Asteroid striking the earth, but something so cataclysmic is going to happen that when Jesus' feet touch the Mount of Olives, now folks, imagine what kind of earthquake this is going to be. That mountain is going to split in two and shift, and the valley is going to be formed. And you go, impossible. Friends, these kinds of things have happened instantaneously in the earth's history. All you have to do is study, you know, the geology of the earth to understand these events have happened before. And before you go, how could Zechariah know that? It's the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Scripture is not given by any private interpretation of man. It's given by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Let me just give you two we've already looked at. Did Zechariah accurately predict? Did he accurately prophesy Jesus coming riding into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey? Did Jesus fulfill that? We studied that, remember? Did he accurately predict? We studied this in the book of Zechariah. Did he accurately predict that Jesus would be betrayed for 33 pieces of silver? Did he accurately predict that? Yes, Judas fulfilled that. And so along with all the other prophecies that we have in the Bible, Zechariah just kind of lines up with that. The hope for you and I is that Jesus is coming again, and he will protect his people, but he will judge his enemies. So when you look at this, don't just go, oh, how, why? Nobody uses horses and mules. And The last time I saw that was watching Lawrence of Arabia. And I'm really glad you brought that up because I'm going to talk about that next week, okay? Because we're going to talk about why this matters to us today, why Israel really does matter to us. So I am willing to stake my life upon these prophecies. And let me scan down because we're running out of time. Uh, look at this next passage of Scripture. They will stand at a distance. I'm reading from Revelation 18.10. They will stand at a distance, terrified by her great torment, and they will cry out, How terrible, how terrible for you, O Babylon, you great city. In a single moment, God's judgment came upon you. Please don't think that when God judges the spirit of Babylon in this earth, that this is impossible. God is able to do it in a day. The second thing is, don't be deceived. God is in control. Don't ever think God is out of control. Recently, and I, yesterday I had lunch with six really great influencers in the state of Michigan. These are people who influence thinking and attitudes, and I really enjoyed listening to them. But around the table, I kept hearing something, and that was, number one, one of the influencers says, I don't believe any politician, conservative or liberal, I don't believe them anymore. And I said, Why? He said, because for all my life, they've made promises and they've said things and they've not kept their word. Can you ever think of a time where Jesus hasn't kept his word? Another one of the influencers, and these are people, they have tremendous, they're positive people. They were going, I, I don't know what's happening. It, it seems like America has lost its way. And then another individual that I met with earlier this week that's a good thinker says, I just feel like the country has totally lost its way. And the fascination with other things has taken over. Friends, don't be deceived. God is in control. We talked about this Sunday morning. Jesus says, when you see these things happening, 
no summer is near. If you were here Sunday morning, I preached a message called the Summer Kingdom. If you weren't here, go online and listen to it. The next thing I'd say is, don't despair. Excuse me, let me read you that verse. God says, I will gather all the nations to fight against Jerusalem. God is going to gather these nations, listen, for the purpose of judging them. That's what the Battle of Armageddon is all about, for judging the nations. Now, here's what I hope and pray, that America is not part of that group. I hope and pray that America is not part of that group. But you have to understand, there are people today that do not want Israel to exist. And we're going to talk about that next week. There are people today that says that Israel took all that land. We're going to talk about why that is wrong. We're going to look at some history next week, and you want to be here for that. Thirdly, don't despair. Christ returns in power. And I don't have long to deal with this tonight, but look at this passage. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will split apart, making a wide valley running from east to west, and half the mountain will move toward the north and half towards the south. I've already talked about that. But guess what valley you have to cross? And I just thought this was kind of interesting, reminding myself as I was looking at my Bible atlas today. Guess what valley you have to cross to get to the uh, Mount of Olives? You cross the valley of Jehoshaphat. Does anybody remember that story? You know, where the Lord fought for Jehoshaphat? It was just an incredible thing. The Bible says in Zechariah 14, 5, then this remnant of people, these Jewish people, will flee through this valley for it will reach across to Azel. I do not know where Azel is. I haven't been able to find anybody to tell me where that is. Most scholars say we, we just don't know. Yes, you will flee as you did from the earthquake in the days of King Uzziah of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all of his holy ones. Now, he's referencing the days of Uzziah. That was 200 years before Zechariah was making this prophecy. Zechariah is writing this book 500 years before Christ is born. So Uzziah is 700 B.C. Zechariah is writing 500 B.C. And these prophecies were fulfilled. Don't have any mistake at all that God's going to fulfill these. And then I'll give you some other verses to look at. Here's an interesting passage from verse 10. And let me just tell you, after that earthquake happens, the land around it will become like a plain, and Judah, Jerusalem will be lifted up. It will be exalted. And the only way I know how to think about this is, ladies, if you were to look at your wedding rings, if you have a diamond, it's like the diamond is elevated above the rest of the band, okay? It's like Jerusalem will be lifted up like a diamond, that's exactly what he's saying. Jerusalem will be lifted up like a dime. It will be exalted. And you can look at that verse later on. Look at this verse, verse 6 and 7. On that day, the sources of light will no longer shine, yet there will be continuous day. Listen to this verse and see if you can hear the echoes of something. Only the Lord knows how this could happen. There will be no normal day and night, for at evening time it will still be light. Two things there. Somehow or another... The earth, the, the sun, and the moon will not be shining. There will be no normal light that day. That happened once in the Bible before. But if it's, let's go back to nuclear. If it's a nuclear blast, then we can understand what would happen. If it's a geologic blast, we can understand what will happen because of the long winter that came upon the earth after Krakatoa exploded. If it's a comet or an asteroid hitting the planet, we can know how that could happen. 
So there's, when you look at this and people say, how? There's no way. It's happened before. And it will happen again. Also, only the Lord knows that day. Does that make you think of something? When Jesus was asked about when he's coming again, he says, only God knows. He said, only the Father knows. And I give you several other verses. So I think the main point of what Zechariah is writing to the people listening to this, and that's how we interpret prophecy, what was he saying to them? What's he saying to us? Don't backslide. The Lord alone will be king. When you see things going from bad to worse, and like when I was talking, I was really stunned by what I was hearing these people say. And, and so when my opportunity came to speak, I talked about what faith is. I mean, and why we believe. I believe God can still send a great awakening to America. I believe that God can send a great revival to the church. Don't give up on the church and don't give up on the nation. If you give up, you stop praying. But when you pray, God send us another great awakening. And don't be selfish to say, well, I, I was talking to someone that called me today for my birthday, a friend from far away, and I, I just said, listen, for the sake of my grandchildren, don't stop praying for revival. I said, because I know my days are short, my days are numbered, but I'm going to be with Jesus. And if the Lord tarries, you've got to have a long-term way of thinking. I want a great revival in this nation for my children, for your children, for our grandchildren, and for the children yet to be born. When the doctors gave up on me, my parents and my church had long-term faith. That didn't mean we didn't go through a lot. I didn't go through a lot of suffering and a lot of surgeries. Doesn't mean that, you know, I had to learn how to walk with those things strapped to my legs. I remember when I couldn't even move them. I remember when they broke my hips and turned them around and removed some organs and knit my body. And there have been battles from time to time since then. But the point is, tonight, thanks to God's grace, thanks to doctors that wouldn't give up, thanks to a church that wouldn't give up, thanks to prayer, I'm a healthy, happy grandfather this evening. Can somebody say, come on, victory? I mean, that means the world to me. Long-term thinking, long-term faith. Say that with me. Long-term thinking, long-term faith. So don't backslide. Just stay faithful. Well, let's move on because our time is almost up. Secondly, the return of Jesus means a kingdom of living waters. Number two, the return of Jesus. Are you with me? The return of Jesus Christ means a kingdom of living waters. I love this verse, verse 8. On that day, life-giving waters will flow out from Jerusalem, half towards the Dead Sea, half towards the Mediterranean, flowing continuously in both summer and winter. That's going to be an amazing day. But I think there's more going on here. I think there's a spiritual application to this verse as well. Because Jesus said, whoever believes in me from out of her, his or her innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Can I ask you a question? What's flowing from your life today? Are people refreshed by your life? Are people encouraged by your life or are they discouraged by your life? Are people's lives sweeter or are they bitter? You see, what should be flowing out of us is the church should be refreshing. We go back to one of those influencers yesterday. One of those influencers said, our children right now are so bitter at the church. And I go, you're kidding. He goes, no. I says, why? He says, because during COVID, they heard their parents criticizing pastors and churches for closing their churches or not meeting together. They heard, their, they heard the church being criticized for all kinds of reasons. And I went, you know, if that's true, I've not heard that. But our church 
we did close for a while, but as soon as the weather got warm, we started meeting outside, and the community started joining with us outside. We put up tents, and some people, and I said, our church was feeding people. Our church was in apartment complexes, and our children were involved, and we were doing street parties for kids and all kinds of things. He goes, you were? And I go, yeah. And he goes, well, that's not what I'm hearing. And I go, well, everything is not always as you hear. Because the church is supposed to be refreshing. I want Woodland to be known for giving back to our community, not for taking from our community. Does that make sense? And when we are full of the Holy Spirit, then that happens. Jerusalem, look at verse 11. Jerusalem will be filled, with, will be filled safe at last, and never again to be cursed and destroyed. I hope I live to see that day. But I don't think it will happen until Jesus returns. You say, Pastor, would you go to Jerusalem? I'm working on a trip now. I would go tonight. And you say, well, what about terrorists and bombs? You know, that can happen anywhere. But there will come a day when King Jesus reigns and there will be peace upon this earth. This is important in verse 16. In the end, the enemies of Jerusalem who survived the plague will go up to Jerusalem each year to worship the king, the Lord of heaven's armies, and to celebrate the festival of shelters or the festival of booths. What was that? That was when Israel... It's kind of like having a week-long picnic, okay? That's when Israel celebrated how God brought them out of Egypt and carried them through the wilderness. Jewish people still do this. Some Christians will do this. You know, I don't think it's necessary for us to do it, but I love the symbolism of it. And by the way, this is the last of the seven feasts. And you remember in Revelation, there are seven trumpets. And what do you call, what do you call the seventh trumpet? The last trumpet, this is the last feast. So that last trumpet, this last feast, they symbolize three things. Number one, refreshing from verse 8 that I just read to you. Peace from verse 11 that I just read to you. And joy. Don't you love a picnic? Don't you love it when people just get together? And then thirdly tonight, the return of Christ means that every facet of life is holy. Now, if you grow up like I did, when you hear the word holy, you're just kind of like, uh... It has a negative connotation. And holy to me was, the, was legalism. But the more I've studied holiness, holiness is about the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the tenderness, the long-suffering, the self-control that God gives to us. I mean, holiness is a beautiful thing. And so when you think about every facet, I want to go back, remember, when I gave Becky her engagement ring, I can remember sometimes she would sit around and she would do this to let the light catch the different facets. And it was what was called a flawless diamond. And then a few years later, when I was able to give her a little larger diamond, it was a flawless diamond. And you could get bigger diamonds, but they didn't have as much of what the jewelers called the fire in them. And the three she has now are flawless diamonds. They're full of, they're not as big as some diamonds, but they're full of fire. So every facet just turns a little bit of a different color. Here's my point. When you are full of the Holy Spirit, you are full of the fire of the Holy Spirit as well. And your life sparkles and there's beauty and there's power to it. You say, how do you get that out of Zechariah? I'm glad you asked that. Look at this. On that day, even the harness bells of the horses will be inscribed with these words, holy to the Lord. You know what that says to me, Alan? That says that my Mustang in the millennial kingdom, it's going to be holy to the Lord. <laughs> you know, it's just going to be, isn't that cool? I mean, just stop and think about that. I mean, I don't plan on riding. I've ridden lots of horses. I don't want to ride anymore. But if you just 
Think about that. Look at this. For those of you, the cooking pots in the temple of the Lord will be as sacred as the basins used besides the altar. You know, Paul talks about some vessels are used for ignoble uses and some are used for noble uses. And Paul said, and here, the day is where everything is going to be so sacred. There won't be that division between what we call secular and sacred. In fact, every cooking pot in Jerusalem and Judea, that means your homes, will be holy to the Lord of heaven's armies. And all who come to worship will be free to use any of these pots to boil their sacrifices. And on that day, there will be no longer traitors in the temple of the Lord of heaven's armies. What's he saying there? There'll be no longer merchandising. You won't see the name of Christ being merchandised. This, and look at with me at Revelation twenty-two seventeen. The Spirit and the Bride say, "Come." Let anyone who hears this say, "Come." Let anyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who desires drink freely in the water of life. He that hath this hope, the Scripture says, people that think about prophecy rightly. They purify themselves. They endure. There's something powerful about studying biblical prophecy. So maybe to wrap this up tonight, number one, God is in control. Number two, God is going to deal with his enemies, your enemies, the enemies of the kingdom of heaven. And there is war being waged waged in the heavenlies. We didn't talk about it tonight, but we'll talk about it next week. We'll talk about the role of the Antichrist in all of this. And we'll look at how the Antichrist just somehow or another is able to convince Israel that it's going to be a time of peace and then he'll betray them and demand that he's supposed to be worshipped and God's going to use all of that as he gathers the nations because he's going to turn on Israel. So don't ever doubt for a moment when you read these words, like one person told me just recently, said, I never read the Old Testament. Read the Old Testament. It is a fabulous, it's as much a part of the Word of God as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are. I love you. Let me pray for you and then we'll have our Q&A here. Father, we love you. We thank you tonight for your mercy and grace. We thank you that Jesus is coming. We thank you for that time called the catching away of the saints, Lord, what we call the rapture. Jesus, where you will catch your church up to be with you forever and ever. I thank you that you have not destined us for wrath, but you have destined us for salvation according to the scriptures. So help us to live faithfully as we see that day approaching. But God, help us not to give up on our nation or any other nation in the world. Send us another great of revival. Send us a great awakening, I pray. And let it begin with me. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.